Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. <clears throat> the interview that uh, a lot of people have been anticipating. Part two here with Joshua Charles. He's. Uh, he took a book written by a Catholic priest, uh, Monsignor Dillon, uh, who passed away in 1893. He was an Irish Catholic missionary. And he basically he polished it up. He redacted it. He added a lot of commentary to it. Uh, so I'll let Joshua say exactly what he did. But the fact of the matter is he updated the book, and it's now a lot more readable for people uh, today. The book is called The War of the Antichrist. It's put out by 10 books. It's called The War of the Antichrist. Joshua Charles is a convert to the Catholic faith. He's the number one New York Times bestselling author. He's a historian, a classical pianist, and a former White House speechwriter. He has degrees in music, government, and law. He came into the Catholic Church from Protestantism in 2019. Hey, Joshua, welcome back to part two, my friend. Uh, both of us, uh, two retired cops, been looking forward to this. Thank you, Jesse. And just to be clear, I didn't redact anything. We, we republished the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, no redaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, thank got you. it. Thank you very so, much. Yeah. So what? What? Yeah. So tell us what do you say was done to Monsignor Dillon's book? Did you just add some commentary? Uh, did you just uh, update? I wrote a so, pretty extensive introduction. That kind okay. of you know Monsignor Dillon's book. For those who didn't hear the interview on Tuesday, is about Freemasonry and its agenda for the world. And uh, Pope Leo XIII endorsed it. He paid for its translation and printing of several thousand copies in Italian. So it has the endorsement of a great pope who famously wrote about Freemasonry. And it was inspired by Pope Leo XIII, in fact, because Pope Leo XIII had said in his encyclical Humanum Genus, he'd encouraged the, the clergy to tear off the mask of Freemasonry, to expose it for what it was. So Monsignor Dillon basically was doing that in a series of lectures that were then recorded in this book. And so what I've done is basically write a, a very, you know, a pretty extensive introduction outlining what Freemasonry is about from the popes and kind of, you know, what, what Monsignor Dillon is talking about. But also I provide a lot of explanatory footnotes throughout the book. There's a lot of references to people and events and places that many modern readers probably are not super familiar with. So just to, we didn't, we didn't change any of the words. We didn't, we didn't uh, delete any of the words. We just wanted to make sure people could read it and have a sense, you know, with a footnote right there on the same page, what exactly it is they were reading about. And Josh, I think you mentioned that you felt it was important because of the relevance and the uh, the uncanny uh, fulfillment of uh, some of these things that he wrote. Isn't that true? Yeah, I, I was reading it <laughs> during the lockdowns of 2020, and uh, I came into the church in July 2019. So my first Easter actually ended up being in 2020. So I I actually didn't get to go to Easter on in 2020 because there was no publicly available mass that day in the area I was in. And so I knew from my research, um, which Monsignor Dillon's book was one of the books I was researching, that there's only one person in Scripture who the fathers unanimously believe will do that, uh, who will shut down the public sacrifice of the mass specifically for three and a half years. And that's Antichrist. And so when I was reading Monsignor Dillon's book, it, it struck me as extremely relevant, um, not only on that front, but just because it, the, the agenda it lays out of Freemasonry, that agenda included uh, destroying the spiritual and the temporal authority of the papacy, the complete separation of church and state, 
making marriage basically totally secular, making divorce laws easy. They wanted marriage to be a contract that could be as easily broken, if not more easily broken than many business contracts. They wanted to completely secularize education. They wanted to morally dumb down the masses. And Pope Leo XIII has a somewhat ominous phrase about this. He basically says they want to morally dumb down the masses because when the climax of their plan comes to fruition, then the population will be all the more compliant. Now, why is that? As we talked about on Tuesday, the soul, we'll just do a quick recap. The soul has two fundamental powers, intellect and free will. The intellect is how we know. The will is how we choose. And so if you've accustomed people to immorality, what have you accustomed to? Accustomed them to. You've accustomed them to saying no to their conscience. You've split their intellect. For those who can't see me, I've got hands going in opposite directions. Yeah. You've split their their intellect and their will, which I, I, I mean, that is the basis of sin, that it, it makes all of us split personalities, which is why the deeper in sin we are, the more insecure of a person we become. Yes. Because what we know is true and what we're actually doing are so far apart but we're also habituated to it. And in some ways we end up loving it, quote unquote, because we, the pleasure or whatever it is, we're deriving from the sin. And so that's why they want to morally dumb down the population because morally uh, dumbed down uh, societies are more compliant, frankly. And I think we saw yeah. a decent <laughs> amount of that with COVID too, frankly. Hey, that, Josh, that's... I want to, I want to compliment you. I'll tell you why you, you haven't been a Catholic that long. And you really got the Catholic lexicon down. I'm just noticing you're saying habituated, faculties, intellect, and will. Uh, I, I can tell that for being a Catholic for a very short time, you're very steeped in Catholic thought. So I just wanted Thank to you. say, uh, yeah, you sound like somebody who's been a Catholic, you know, for 40 or 50 years, the way ah. you speak. Yeah. Well, I read a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah, I exactly. came into, I mean, like many converts, I came into the church through reading primarily. And uh, yeah. Yeah. If my first and, exposure to the church had been my first RCIA class, I would have never become a Catholic, probably. So, <laughs> so, so Josh, just so people Josh, know, the reason I say that is the teacher contradicted the church on homosexuality. So I'm not, yeah. you know, it, it was pretty bad. The, the first RCIA class. I oh, was. yeah. Wow. Anyway, sorry, Paul, wasn't trying to interrupt you. No, no, no. I was just going to. It sounds like uh, based on your last comments that uh, we're all a little bit schizoid, at least uh, they're spiritually yes. schizoid. Uh, is that, well, the gospel. That... I, yeah, I see the gospel. I phrase it like this since my Protestant days. You know, what did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They immediately hid. They mm -hmm. were self. They were they were insecure. Um, and and the gospel, in a sense, is God calling them out of hiding. Is what I I see it as. It's to be in the light of truth, where uh, to speak in a more philosophical way. Our wills and our intellects are fully united and directed toward our final object, which is God Himself. Yeah, hey, uh, Terry Barber wants to jump in. Uh, uh, he's uh, the CEO of Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Terry, jump in. Joshua, I heard about you from Bishop Strickland's show yesterday when I did it. He's going oh. he's gonna to endorse your book, so he's fascinated with it. Oh, okay. And when I saw you on, I said, I'm just going to tell the boys I'm jumping in because guess what? I can do that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey, so keep, the boss is the boss. Yeah, keep up the good work. I'd like to chat with you later. And uh, we want to network with you to help spread the gospel. So I'll look forward to uh, chatting with you after the show or after I got several shows today to, and about two, two funerals to take care of. But other than that, I'll give you a call back and I do want to chat with you. But I want the listeners to understand Bishop Strickland read the book. He loved it. 
And so I think that's a good endorsement for all of us to get the book. Wow. All right, gentlemen, I'll let you get back Thank to your you show. Thank you very much. God love you. Yeah. Wow, that was, a, that was a good commercial break. Can you imagine Bishop Strickland <laughs> wants to endorse your book? Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Josh, uh, uh, so what do you think about a book written in 1885 about the dangers of Freemasonry? Uh, How is it relevant to the Catholic ch- Church readers today? I think you've answered all part of it, but it, if you want to continue on that answer. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um... I have found great peace through the study of the fathers in scripture uh, for the times we're in uh, because of typology. You know, typology, for those in your audience who may not know, typology is the uh, it's a principle in scripture that a past event somehow presages a future event. Uh, it is itself. It's not it's not purely symbolic like, you know the events of the Exodus and Joseph and all these things really did happen, but they, but they're in a a mystical sense, a preview of some future reality. So that's why St. Peter compares the church to the ark. You know, the, the church is always, you know, the bark of Peter, the boat, you know, there's a flood of judgment that comes and only those who are in the boat will be saved. So, you know, that's where the whole idea of outside the church is no salvation. Um, You know, Joseph, I was just reading a brilliant uh, exposition of, the life of Joseph uh, the other day by a saint. And, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, it wasn't a saint. It was in the Book of Wisdom, uh, Book of Wisdom, chapter 10, I believe. And it was describing Joseph. But the way it described Joseph was, it was like being teed up for Christ. So like Joseph being persecuted, being thrown in the pit, you know, Christ descending down into Sheol. So that that's typology. So you don't have the gospel without typology. So by studying typology, uh, it's very related to this Freemasonry issue because there is a typology in scripture of you know there's it's kind of a popular term these days i can i can explain it more uh precisely of the anti-church and what is the anti-church um there's a there's a general definition and a specific definition the general definition would be um any of us who would fall into mortal sin frankly you know if we if we fall into mortal sin we become dead members of christ so we're not fully united with christ now, the reason why I don't like that that definition for anti-church is because anti implies you're actively against the church, whereas somebody who falls into mortal sin, they've certainly made a decision that damages themselves and damages the church, um, but they're not necessarily anti the faith. If they still have the faith, they'll run off to confession and, and take care of it, right? So the, yes. more, the more specific definition of anti-church would be essentially those who held the Catholic faith, had the Catholic faith, no longer have it in one sense or another, and yet remain within the visible church. Ooh, that and describes it, a lot of people. Wow. Yeah, well, wow. and it describes Judas. The first yeah. time that John uh, describes Judas as the betrayer, you know where it is? In John 6, where our Lord mm. talks about, in the most fulsome terms, his real presence in the Eucharist. So there were a bunch, you know, our Lord gives this hard teaching, and many of the disciples leave. They left. And he says to the 12, will you go too? And Peter famously says, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. But at that point, John identifies uh, Judas as the betrayer. So clearly Judas did not believe what Jesus Hold that thought, Josh. Hold that thought, my friend. Jesus 911, we got Joshua Charles here doing a deep dive into typology and how it relates to the Antichrist. Stick around. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Now, 
Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, two-man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. We got Joshua Charles here. Uh, <laughs> we just found out that Bishop uh, Strickland wants to endorse his book. Just finished reading it. Uh, so you, if Bishop Strickland wants to endorse this book, you've got to get this book. It's called The War of the Antichrist. <clears throat> Go to tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. War. I'll tell you why. <clears throat> Although this book was written about, you know, in, in the 19th century, Joshua has, has made it readable and updated it to the point where it's very relevant right now. Many of the things that he's talking about, especially that last definition, my brain just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> when when, jo- when Josh, when you just said uh, that the definition of the anti-church, more specifically, is a is a, those who had the Catholic faith no longer have the Catholic faith, but choose to remain in it. <laughs> and uh, my comment, and, and as a result of that, they're doing damage to the mystical body of Christ. Uh, I mean, uh, that definition, it's it's we're seeing it played out right now in living color. Paul, you got a comment, yeah. Josh? Yeah, yeah, that was the anti-church. Um, Jess, uh, yeah, so um, back to Josh. Josh, I asked you, and I was kind of amazed with so much going on within our church today. Uh, many people scandalized, and I was wondering how in the world did such a, a, a guy on such a high level run to the Catholic Church? And uh, you mentioned that it was the typology that you mentioned and seeing the things in Scripture that um, that, you know, gave you the, the, I guess, the confidence and, and, and the understanding to, to actually um, convert and become Catholic. Um, and as you know, that's different than Protestantism in the sense that, um, you know, in, in a Protestant church, it's almost like a little bubble where everybody's saved and, you know, and, and if somebody does anything in the negative, it's like, well, well, maybe they were never saved in the first place, that type of a, a thing, rather than understanding that the kingdom exists you know, of heaven within the church. And we, we both have the good and the bad. Can you comment on that? Yeah, no, that's very important. So we were talking about the anti-church. I can go but go to that a little bit later with the eschatological, you know, in, okay. in, end times implications. But no, you're right. I mean, even as a Protestant, I didn't find arguments based on scandal. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't find arguments based on, well, this can't be true because of this scandalous behavior here and there. I never found that convincing um mm-hmm. one because i love the bible i mean when Amen. you look at the history of israel yeah it, i mean does israel cease to be israel every time one of its members sins even one of its chief members no mm-hmm. god specifically promised to preserve israel even in 70 years of exile in babylon and but it didn't change you know true worship wasn't somehow no longer in jerusalem in fact what was really interesting is when you look at the separation of judah from the 10 northern tribes it, there was actually a, a decently good pretext for it. You know, Rehoboam, who was the king of Judah, king of all Israel, he was Solomon's son. He was engaging in uh, abusive behavior. He was treating the people up north very badly. And um, and they had asked him for a redress of grievances, to use our American constitutional language, but he refused. And he said, I'm going to make it worse. So he was acting kind of tyrannical. Um, and so Jeroboam... Uh, got the 10 northern tribes together and separated. Well, this was not okay. Like Rehoboam was acting like a tyrant, but mm-hmm. God was very clear that this was unrighteous. And yet in his sovereignty, it was allowed. 
And the very first thing that Jeroboam did was set up a counter temple and a counter priesthood. I've been to the very spot where he did it. He chose Bethel, Bethel uh, mm -hmm. means house of God. This is where Jacob had his dream. So it's interesting. He chose a biblically significant spot to justify a biblically forbidden form of worship because only true worship could be allowed in Jerusalem, right? So he set up his own priesthood. It wasn't Levitical. So that was contrary to the clear prescriptions of the Torah. And he set up his own temple. You can still see the outlines of this temple in Bethel when you go there today. So um, so that was that was kind of like a type of schism with bad behavior of the true people of God as a pretext. And yet it still wasn't justified. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the typology that the fathers use is also extremely helpful, especially St. Augustine. So the typology of the wheat and the chaff, you know, our Lord talks about the one vineyard and that he he put seed in the in the vineyard and it, you know so it will grow and produce fruit um but that alongside the wheat there are tares weeds that grow alongside and the disciples say well should we pull them all up and he says no because then you'll pull up the wheat as well very interesting mysterious comment i'm still pondering but he said basically leave the separating of the wheat and the chaff to the end okay so saint augustine would say that one of the chief uh traits of all heretics and schismatics is in one sense or another, they want to separate the wheat and the tares before the end. That's mm. kind of part and parcel of what they do. Another typology they would use is with Noah's Ark, as I mentioned earlier. But in Noah's Ark, you had two of every type of animal, but every type of animal included what would later be described in the Torah as unclean. So you would have clean and unclean animals in the same ark. Um, I was just reading, um, was it St. Pope Gregory the Great the other day? And he talks about the same thing. Oh, no, no, no. It was our Lord. It was, <laughs> he, he gives the, he gives the pair. Sorry. It's like, it's all, it all, I mean, St. Pope Gregory the Great, I'm reading his morality on Job. It's one of the most stunning uh, works of the fathers I've ever read. Just the depths of his understanding of scripture is amazing. But no, our Lord in his parable of the wedding banquet, he talks about, you know, how he essentially invited, you know, the Jews, but they were not accepting of him. So he said, go to the byways and the highways and invite, you know, invite the Gentiles essentially. And he specifically mm -hmm. says, bring the good and the bad into the mm -hmm. wedding feast. Uh, because, you know, again, there's good and bad in the Catholic Church. There always has been. There always will be. St. Augustine talks about it a lot. Many of the fathers talk about it a lot because the sheep and the goats, that's another typology that's in there. Um, and when it specifically comes to something like the anti-church, this is all throughout. This goes from the very beginning of the Old Testament to the very end of the New Testament. Well, not the very end, because that's when everything's in heaven, right? but like right before the very end. And um, so it starts with Cain and Abel. You know, you have Cain and Abel who are part of the same family, you know, because of Scott Hahn, uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, who's a who's a friend and, and a, as I'm sure we all agree, a brilliant man and, and wonderful man. Um, he talks Indeed. so often in terms of family, that God is establishing a family. So in Cain and Abel, you they're part of this one family. And yet Cain fratricidally murders his brother Abel. And so that's sort of a picture of the anti-church. And so you have this pattern throughout all of history. Um, I'll expand on it in a little bit, but there's another one where in Ezekiel 8, this was shown to me by another church father, Ezekiel 8, uh, it, 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 the angel is saying to Ezekiel, son of man, come over here. I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. But he says, come over here and look at the temple. And he discovered the true temple in Jerusalem. And he discovers there's a hole in the temple. Or may, maybe we think of uh, St. Paul Paul VI uh, talk about the smoke of Satan has come into the church through some fissure. Mm. He mm. says, look at the hole and look in this hole. 
and he looks in the hole and he sees he sees all these priests of Israel, meaning the northern tribes. He sees the priests of the northern tribes who broke off coming into the enclave of the temple and offering pagan sacrifice. So it's mm. it's a very, very interesting typological picture of of um these these essentially what would have been at those times, you know, analogically heretics and schismatics who were going full on pagan at that point, bringing into the true Israel some of their corruption. So again, mm. this typology of the anti-church is all over the place. Now, we also know from uh church fathers and whatnot that the that the two the two players in history are the body of Christ and the body of the devil. That term body of the devil is all over the fathers. It's not quite the same as the body of Christ because the devil doesn't ontologically extend himself, you know, through through counter sacraments like Christ does through the sacraments. But you get the point. There's yeah. all the wicked are under their head, the devil, all the righteous are under their head, Christ. Okay. Yeah. Well, the anti-church comes in because essentially what it is, it's a part of the body of the devil that has obscured itself within the visible body of Christ. And so the constant pattern of history, you see this in the history of Israel, you especially see it in the history of the Maccabees, and then you see it all throughout the Gospels and preeminently in the Passion narrative is the anti-church, so to speak, within the visible church. So this would have been Judas. Uh, I would even include many of the many of the Jewish leadership. They join up with the world, the part of the devil's body outside the visible church. And so the part within the visible church and the part without the visible church team up together to persecute the church embedded themselves or another word infiltrated <laughs> yeah it's a constant pattern throughout throughout scripture constant and so yes i have found great comfort in that i ironically <laughs> you know mm-hmm. no it's kind of right. like it's kind of like when you know how bad things are you have a sense of like okay well then i can understand there's a framework for understanding it yes joshua yes. Th- there was yeah th- you know you just uh called to mind this one heresy that the church the church uh, squashed. I, I believe it was the Donatist heresy. I'll have yeah. to look it up. Where basically everybody, you know, the Donatists believe that everybody there uh, in the true church basically was sinless. Uh, you know, something to that effect. And uh, yeah, the church came down. The church came down on that. The Donatist heresy. Yeah. He was a prelate of the church. You know, he says everybody in the true church. And it's kind of like what I hear in, in, in Protestant circles. A lot of my Protestant friends for years that would tell me, you got to come into our church, Jesse. Everybody's saved. Everybody's yeah. walking with the Lord. Everybody's spirit filled. I, that's Donatism. That's, that, yes. that's a Donatist heresy. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, when I share, you know, sometimes I go to uh, the jail and I and I bring Catholic services to the inmates. And, and one of them asked me, he said, well, why did God allow the serpent? you know, in the garden, he knows everything. And I, and I told him, I said, because God is love and true love involves a choice. And, you know, we needed to have a choice, a choice of good and evil. And by the way, when the, when the persecution comes as a result of the evil ones, um, uh, that persecution and sacrifice, it, it, it perfects love, Yeah, you know, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's brilliant in the mind of God, how he just, um, uh, you know, it, it, you know, God causes all things to work together for good, for those that love God, for those that are called according to his purpose. So here's another typology, very important to this, because St. Augustine dealt with the Donatist heresy head on. And this is when he, you know, harnessed much of this typology, especially of the wheat and the chaff. So he connects it with another typology from the Old Testament. I'm forgetting which book, but um, David uh, bought 
what was called the threshing floor. It was a it was a place where they would ground wheat. So what do you do to ground grind wheat? So you can get the germ to make bread, but the rest of it, the husk, you you throw out and you burn, right? So this there there was a I'm forgetting the guy's name. I'm sorry. I, I usually remember this kind of stuff. But the guy who owned the threshing floor, it was where the temple mount would be. And so David needed to purchase the threshing floor to make God's temple. And so St. Augustine connects these two typologies that the church is the threshing floor. It's the one threshing floor. Now, but, and again, what happens in the threshing floor? The, the wheat yeah. is crushed. You have yes. this, there's a sense in which to join the church is not to join some quasi utopian. Hey, hey, I like that. I like At least that. not the church militant. It's to take up the cross and taking yes. up the cross means being yes. not only persecuted by the world, which is the part Protestants remember, it's being persecuted from within, which is actually Amen. the title of my next book coming out Amen. that I co-authored oh. with a buddy of mine. I can't yeah, wait for that next book. <laughs> well, persecuted from within, uh, how the saints endeared crises in the church. So we, we profile uh. 11 saints and one venerable, Fulton Sheen, uh, and how they dealt with being persecuted <laughs> from within. And, and Josh, that was Second Samuel. Uh, on the okay, threshing, yeah. Uh, threshing floor. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, yeah. So St. Augustine connects. Hold, hold, hold that thought, men. Hold that thought. Jesus 911. We're here with Joshua Charles, author of the book, War and Antichrist. Get the book, tanbooks.com. We'll be right back. We got more discussion. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, Lord, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Psalm 69, verse 2. That's uh, what I think about when I'm, when I'm talking to Joshua Charles about his <laughs> book, The War of the Antichrist. Get the book, tanbooks.com. Very relevant to the times we're living in right now. V absolutely relevant. Tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. The book is called War of the Antichrist. Uh, Paul, where do we live? We off with Charles. What were we asking him? Yeah. Yeah, Charles, um, you're making a comment, Charles. You're making yeah, a comment he, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He was talking about the threshing floor and yes. uh, in Second Samuel. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about the Donatist Jesse and how Donatism basically said that if a priest was unholy or sinful in his behavior, that he couldn't confect the sacraments. And so they concluded from this that the true church, uh, the true Catholic Church, was only in North Africa. <laughs> uh, who followed their sect. And so uh, St. Augustine deployed all this powerful typology against this. Um, and uh, yeah, you're very right. It is very similar to Protestantism uh, in, in, the, uh, in, the way, in this sense that Protestantism, um, you know, they may deny this now for their own, kind of like Calvin. Calvin spoke very, very highly of church authority, but of course, mm -hmm. he started with Calvin in 15, whatever, not 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 mm -hmm. the Catholic Church in A.D. 33. And so yes. so um, so they may they may deny that they believe this, but functionally, they believe that if the church if the church gets rotten enough, um, they can separate and lay a new foundation. But that's precisely what St. Augustine said all heretics and schismatics ultimately want to do. Um, and, and they they kind of self-appoint themselves for for such tasks. Uh because apparently what Jesus started wasn't sufficient. So wow, what a what a what what's some that's great insight. Yeah, what? well, I mean, I I lived among Protestants for most of my life. Many of them are still dear friends, and and um, you know I don't want to caricature their position. Of course, when I say yes. Protestants, I'm talking about you know 
many forms of theology. And so I also yes. don't want to get into the game that some of them try to pull me into of like, well, that's not what we believe. It's like, yeah. well, the fact that you all believe such profoundly different and contradictory things on so many issues is precisely part of the problem. So, yes, yes. You know, we, we have, we've got the James Martins and whatnot in the Catholic church. It's horrible. You know, that he's the epitome yeah. of, he and those like him are, are yes. the epitome of the anti-church. Absolutely. Um, they're, they're there, well but we can compare their teachings with the official teaching of the Catholic church as manifested through 2000 years. We can compare yes. that. There's Amen. a standard, you know, Joshua is the destruction of the papacy. I want you to talk about this a little bit more and the Masonic anti-church part of the plan of the antichrist. <laughs> uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I keep, <laughs> I keep some of my, I keep some of my speculations about this more private, uh, to be honest. Okay, then, then then we'll we'll pass on we'll pass on. Oh well, no, I I, I I can talk about it a little bit. No, I can okay. talk about it a little bit. I got my thoughts Look, on it. I, I say yes. It's, okay. It's, no, I mean, obvious. Well, no, I would say it is, but they and I I'm sure you would agree they won't ultimately succeed. Yeah. Of course. Um, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Just to just to make sure, I figured that was where you were, but um, absolutely. But I will say that the preeminent, to go back to typology, um, the preeminent type for the end times is the passion of our Lord. We know this from yes, the catechism. Yes. 675. <clears throat> yeah, 675 to yeah. 77. You know, it talks about the church will go through a final passion. Why? Because the church is the mystical body of Christ, and it will experience in, his, in its mystical body what Christ experienced in his individual body. And so this is where the typology of church, anti-church, and world really comes to the fore. So um, one of the ways in which I think one can describe the anti-church uh, and what you know, it's breaking forth against the church, there it, it does this throughout history. People need to realize that prophecy, typology, and whatnot, it has multiple iterations throughout history, but it's all crescendoing, which is a musical term for getting louder, it's all crescendoing toward a climax, and that climax will be the final persecution of Antichrist. And so <clears throat> there's a very Eucharistic element to all of this. Um, <clears throat> we, we know, or sorry for my throat there, we know from John 6 that that's the first time John identifies Judas as the betrayer. He does not believe what Jesus is saying about his real presence in the Eucharist, and yet he remains within the apostolic college, okay? Then we get to the passion narrative, and our Lord says, one of you will betray me. And then John says quietly to him, who will it be? And Jesus says privately to John, the one to whom I give this morsel. And many of the fathers say that this morsel would in fact be the Eucharist. So our Lord then gives the more, only John knows, not all the other apostles know, which is also very interesting. All the other apostles also died by martyrdom and John didn't. Um, so our Lord gives the morsel to Judas. And what happens? Immediately, scripture says, Satan went into him. Mm. Satan went into him. So, you know, Paul's theology of if you receive our Lord unworthily, you're bringing judgment on yourself is we see that with Judas. We mm. see this. We see the superficiality, the the absurdity of this idea that the Eucharist can just be given willy nilly to anybody. And yet Christ was willing to give it to his persecutor not because he didn't believe it wouldn't damage him, but because he knew it was part of God, the Father's providential plan for his passion. And so once he gives it to Judas, he says to Judas, go and do what you're going to do and do it quickly. Now, this is very interesting because <clears throat> it's probably a bit too much to get into right now. But if we go to 2 Thessalonians 2, this is where St. Paul talks most explicitly about the Antichrist. He calls him the man of lawlessness. 
well, then he says that there's this there's this thing called the katakon. It's a Greek term, but in English, it's often translated as restrainer that is holding back the coming of Antichrist. So there's a, a long debate about what this restrainer is. So I won't get into all the details of my views. I'll simply say what my view is. I think it's Christendom and preeminently the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the fathers often identified it with the Roman Empire. Um, and I think there is a Romanness to it because I think there's intrinsically a Romanness to the church. There's there's a there's a really cool, I won't say the details about it, but there's a very cool book coming out by a friend of mine on this subject very soon. The Romanness of the church, which he shows from prophecy and the New Testament. It's very, very interesting stuff. So there's this Romanness to the church. St. Thomas Aquinas says that you know the Roman Empire had fallen and yet Antichrist wasn't here. He says it, it's because the Roman Empire has become the spiritual empire of the Catholic Church. And so when you have this great apostasy, Paul in the same chapter of 2 Thessalonians 2 says that there will be this great apostasy, this great rebellion. And once that great rebellion happens and this catacomb, this restrainer ceases to restrain, Antichrist will appear. So basically what I argue, again, there's a whole lot of details to this. We don't have the time to go into all of it, but this will be the passion of the church. This great rebellion, this catacomb ceasing to restrain and Antichrist coming to the fore will all be threads that come together at roughly the same time. They'll climax all at the same time. And so the Eucharistic element of this, again, our Lord gave the thing that initiated his passion, at least in the Gospel of John, which is arguably the most mysterious sacramental gospel, is our Lord giving the Eucharist to Judas mm. and, then, and then Satan perfectly possessing him. Now, this language of um, do what you're going to do and do it quickly, it's very interesting because the same sort of timeline is, is roughly outlined in Apocalypse 20. Apocalypse 20 begins with the dragon being bound. And all the fathers, even, you know, they don't necessarily say this in their commentaries on Apocalypse 20, but all the fathers say that Satan was bound by the cross of our Lord, by the cross and resurrection of our Lord. And so that's what allowed the gospel to go forth and and the priesthood of the Catholic Church to be able to essentially do battle with pagan priesthoods that were still trying to maintain the worship of demons. And so, but the power to do that came from the cross. And so this is the, you know, we talked earlier about a sacramental civilization, all the graces for a sacramental civilization that you know that that makes brings nature and grace together it flows from the eucharist right and so then we have the eucharist being given to the enemy and then it breaks forth so but then it says in uh, verse uh, 4 in apocalypse 20 after the say, after the dragon is bound thrones are set up and our lord said to the apostles you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel so what is this this is the age of the church this is a very very common opinion in the fathers so the age of the church is when these thrones are set up. And then it says in verse 7 that the, that the dragon will be unbound for a brief time. So again, mm. there's this brief time, and then Jesus says to Judas, do what you're going to do and do it quickly. So there's mm. a sense in which Satan is briefly released toward the end. It's Eucharistic. And we mm. also see the Eucharistic element in the book of Maccabees. Uh, Daniel prophesied an abomination of death. Sorry, I'm trying to cover as much yeah, ground yeah. as I can, but not going super deep into any of it, just trying to put data points on people's brains. But Daniel book, prophesied... People got to get the book. Yep. <laughs> well, I don't talk about all this too much in the yeah. book, but it is relevant. But but okay. yeah. Daniel prophesied an abomination of desolation. And a mini fulfillment of that was Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Greek king. He, he was one of the successors of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great creates this huge empire. And then according to the prophecy in Daniel, that empire was divided into four kings after he died because it couldn't hold together. 
one of those four kings was the was the king of the Seleucid Empire, and the Seleucid Empire controlled the Holy Land. So one of those kings was Antiochus Epiphanes, who is unanimously seen by the fathers as a type of the Antichrist. So what mm -hmm. happens with him? Well, he basically wants Israel to give up its covenant and to become just like the rest of the world. That's the short version. And mm -hmm. there's a contingent. If you read the very beginning of the book of First Maccabees, there's a whole contingent within Israel that wants to leave the covenant and team up with the world yeah. to abandon Moses. So again, you have that same pattern of anti-church yeah. teaming up with the world because they're just different sides of the same body of the devil teaming up yeah. against the church, Israel at that time. Now, yeah, here's great... where it gets, here's, well, one, one final thing, just to yeah. complete the train of thought. Antiochus is escorted into the Holy of Holies. And there he, which is at sacrilege because he's a Gentile. But he also sets up, according to some accounts, a pagan sacrifice. Not only that, but he's escorted into the Holy of Holies by a false Jewish high priest, Menelaus. Menelaus was not a licit high priest. The actual high priest, Onias III, was still alive. And so it's very, this is another aspect where, the, where sacrifice, liturgy, and Eucharist is involved yes. in the first fulfillment, so to speak, yeah. of the abomination yeah. of desolation. So one can only imagine it, it could very well be involved in the final one as well. As the great Dr. Scott Hahn says uh, often, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Yeah. So these 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 motifs are recapitulated at a greater level all throughout history till it finally culminates into the actual um, Antichrist, the Antichrist yep. and not an Antichrist. Yes, hold those, exactly. hold that yes. thought, man. Last segment, hold that thought. Jesus 911. Hey, you guys got to get the book. This is a teaser here. War of the Antichrist, <laughs> tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. You got to get the book. One more segment with Joshua Charles. Stick around. Now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we've got Joshua Charles on, author of the book, War of the Antichrist, pick it up from 10 books. Uh, this is red meat Catholicism. This is <laughs> steak between the ears. Joshua, after after listening to a lot of the things that you're talking about, your 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 the history and the typology. Now I can see why you came into the Catholic church. I'm telling you, because as I hear you talk, a lot of these things that have happened in the past in scripture and in history, these are things that we're seeing happening within the, within the one true church of Jesus Christ. We're seeing the same type of setup where you have the powers of the world trying to corrupt the powers of uh, of the successors of the apostles, the same type of, of 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 nefarious, you know, orchestration of evil and infiltration is happening right now. So, given given the vantage point from where you're coming from, no wonder you came in the Catholic Church. As Fulton Sheen said, you know, years ago, you you want to know which is the one true Church of Jesus Christ? Look at the Church that's persecuted by the world. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a longer body of what he said, but that's basically one or two sentences. You want to find the true church? Find the church that's hated and persecuted by the world, yes. and you'll find the true church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Well, and and um, I actually tweeted last night that one of the reasons I became Catholic is because essentially it had all the right enemies, uh, you know, <laughs> Freemasonry, <laughs> communism, Nazism, uh, socialists, all these occultists, Satan, Satanist. Uh, they all identify among all the Christian denominations. I don't like that term because the church is not a denomination. It is the church. But but among all the Christian communions, the Catholic church is far and away their greatest enemy. That isn't to say they find el- other other elements in Protestantism and Eastern Orthodoxy that that that, that are they consider their enemy as well. They most definitely do. Um, but but when it comes to the big kahuna, the big, <laughs> the big kahuna is always and everywhere the Catholic Church. Absolutely. You know, when Satanists, one of the things that convinced me of the Eucharist is that Satanists would never go to Protestant churches to get crackers and welches. They'd go to a Catholic church to try and get an actual Eucharist. It's like, mm. yeah, there's there's something there, you know. You know, you know, I'm I'm just thinking back, Josh, at the comment you made about when when Christ gave the the Great Commission, and uh, uh, you know, all authority belongs to Him, and that's the civil authority, and obviously within the church, He is head of the church, and you see this constant um, uh, move by Satan throughout history to divide, you know, uh, the church authority from the civil authority you know, met with varying degrees of success, but obviously the the strategy of any general who you're at war with would be divide and conquer. And so when you see these ideas that came about pretty pretty much uh, were were, were put forward in the French Revolution, these ideas of, you know, that end up with separation of church and state and so forth, it really is akin to really separating God from man. Well, yeah, well, think about it. I mean, all of modern politics, all of Western liberalism is based on the idea that an abuse of, a, of authority negates the authority. Yes, it yes. really is, uh, which is not to say we're not justifying abuses of authority. Of course not. But it, it's kind of like you, you see the you see the reality through all the commandments and you see the counterfeit through much of modern culture that if there's abuse that I get to reject it. It's like, well, try that with the third commandment uh, about, I'm sorry, or was it the fourth command? I'm sorry, I'm getting some of the numbering wrong, about obeying your parents. Uh, obey your parents. That was embarrassing, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you I-, the, I you've, You refer to the Protestant uh, abbreviation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's so funny. I There's still a few prayers and things I don't, I haven't quite remembered, but I can quote Thomas Aquinas to, you know, so it's just <laughs> funny. It's, it's just funny. It's just one of those weird convert things. But anyway, um, but- uh, but no, um, the uh, where was I going with that? The oh, so the obeying parents, you know, your parents don't stop being your parents. The, the commandment to honor them does not cease because they don't happen to be particularly honorable people. And yes. So it's, again, it's the same thing with Jeroboam. Jeroboam left Judah, but being in communion with Judah, so to speak, with the true temple with Jerusalem was required to be fully part of the people of God. That's why God told Elijah, I have a few thousand men who are a remnant in the people of Israel. Why? Because they were loyal to Judah. They were loyal to the temple, despite the abuses, despite Rehoboam not being a good guy, you know? And so, and and here's the, here's the great paradox is our Lord gives these powerful statements about the church. You know, the gates of hell will not prevail. Whatever you bind and loose on earth will be bound and loose in heaven. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. I will be with you to the end of the age. St. Paul calling it the pillar and the bulwark of the truth. And yet, he says all that, and yet, at the same time, he prophesizes false prophets. 
Mm-hmm. He says yeah. some will come into you. So, so both elements are included. And when my Protestant friends say, well, these abuses, and he was like, look, the whole reason Jesus gave these extraordinary promises to his church is because of those things. Because guess what? Those things normally do tear apart human societies. They normally do destroy families. They normally do destroy empires. There are all sorts of empires and societies today that do not exist. Christ made his church different. It's the only society established by God himself, which is precisely why these promises in the midst of human sin are so important. See, Josh, I have to learn how to articulate that as you do, because uh, like you, I have many, many uh, non-Catholic friends, Christians that, uh, that, you know, I hear the same things over and over, but I just can't can't articulate it quite the way you do back to the the few thousand men it was seven thousand men which is a a symbolic number there symbolic number yeah yeah and 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 i'm reminded too uh what you said when jesus said uh uh concerning the pharisees and the and and the scribes he said do not do what they do for they are hypocrites but he said but you must obey what they say for they sit in the chair of moses so those ideas of authority and so forth same thing with david when saul was chasing him and he could have he could have struck saul down when they were in the cave but he did not why because he feared and understood that saul was god's anointed so this is this is great stuff well it was also and i would read uh saint i think it's saint jude he wrote he warns christians against the sin of korah well, what's the mm-hmm. sin of Korah? Well, if you go to number 16, I think it is. Yeah. Korah, and Korah may have been a priest. Basically, Korah and, and some of his confederates, it was a combination of somebody from the priestly class with the yes. non-priestly class. So priest and laity coming together. And they basically go to Moses and basically say, who do you think you are that you're better than us? And <laughs> they were basically saying you're the same. So, you know, the whole Protestant idea of like it's priesthood of all believers. There's no yes. priesthood. It's like literally they're making the exact same argument as Korah. <laughs> so, well, you know, there should be no distinction. Then they'll say, well, Peter said you're a holy, a holy nation, a holy priesthood. It's like he's quoting Moses. Moses yeah. was saying that to the people of Israel. Let me yeah. let, I know we're getting close to the end. So let me just make I, what I hope is a powerful and edifying point that I've, okay. I've I'm not, not not from myself, but from St. Pope Gregory the Great. You got three Pope, minutes, three minutes. All right. Great. St. Pope Gregory the Great says that the church prior to the coming of Antichrist will be in the worst state it's ever been. Now, I'm not claiming that's us, uh, as I as I joke, but somewhat mean seriously, I have uh, suspicions. I, I uh, Okay, I'm going to say it. I put it, I'll put it out there. It's us. Go ahead. Okay. That's me. That's Tim Romero, not you. Fair enough. No, no, no. I, I Look, I, I have private thoughts, that I, I, I okay. but I don't want to set dates. I'm not setting, and you're not oh, either, God. but I'm, no, I'm not setting course. dates. But but Pope St. Pope Gregory the Great in his Morale on Job, it's one of the most profound works I've ever read, 1,500 pages. Um, he says the church prior to the coming of Antichrist will be in the worst state it's ever been. He says there will be fewer miracles. He says that the penances will be weaker. He says that the words of doctrine will fall silent. That's his actual words. Wow. It's, it's amazing. And so he's seeing this. This is in the 500s, so 6th century. Now, why do I say this? And he Because he asked the question, why does God allow this? And it's a very, very beautiful and extremely Catholic answer related to our concept of redemption, suffer, uh, redemptive suffering. He basically says the reason why many of these visible signs are withdrawn is because the righteous who continue to keep the faith, even in the absence of as many visible signs, 
are given the opportunity by God to merit eternal reward all the more. Whereas mm. the faithless, those who will or don't ultimately don't love the truth, which Paul at the end of Second Thessalonians two says the reason Antichrist is sent is to to basically condemn those who do not love the truth. That by the mm. lack of visible signs, they will fall away. So in the mm. same way that the the cornerstone rejected by the builders became the chief cornerstone, it's a similar sort of thing. Like there's this great mystery of suffering that's going on, but it's actually it's actually an a, a, a gift given by God to the faithful, and it's a condemnation given to the unfaithful. I mean, Let think of the think of the goodness of God offering us eternal reward for temporary suffering. Yeah, that's how good and benevolent and 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 fatherly he is, and so. That's why St. Pope Gregory says in the times leading up to and during the final and worst persecution of the Antichrist, the visible signs that we normally associate with the church will not be as present. He doesn't say they'll fully go away, but he says they will be very decreased mm -hmm. and that this is, in fact, because God wants to reward his faithful ones e with even greater eternal rewards. And he wants you know, to bring the bring the unfaithful into condemnation. You reminded me of the words of our Lord when he said, blessed is he who has not seen yet still believes, you know, yes. uh, the signs are not seen yet. We maintain our faith. And, yes. Yeah. Uh, basically, unbelievers in those time will follow will be of the of the and I think Thomas sometimes gets a bad rap, but they'll be more like Thomas. They'll say, show me the signs. Well, Jesus may be in the tomb. We may be in the Holy Saturday of the church. Right. Mm. Um, and then the but the faithful will be like John and our lady who. Amen very quietly, very faithfully. Uh, they knew who the betrayer was. They knew what was going on, but they didn't raise their sword and they accepted it. They, and they, and they suffered it well. And, and so there's a great mystery there that is way too deep to get into in the time we have left. Yeah. But, uh, but it's, it, it really, John and our lady, I, I really do think are the model should be the model for us right now. No yeah. doubt about it. And they remain faithful even at great risk. Yes. Yeah. Joshua, my friend, thanks for coming on, bro. And thanks for giving us two Thank shows. You. Uh, th this, this is, uh, this is the top of the food chain when it comes to uh, interviews here. Yes. Josh, yes. Josh, you, you broke the glass ceiling. Okay. We've had some very good people, but this one broke the glass ceiling. Anybody, oh, cool. listening, anybody listening to this show, get this show and send it to all your social contacts. Get yes. the show out. Part one and part two it was Tuesday and Thursday. It was 8-8 uh, and 8-10. Send these shows out to all the people in your social contacts. Go to tanbooks.com. War of the Antichrist by Joshua Charles. War of the yeah. Antichrist. Joshua, thank it, you my, that, very much. Thank you, my friend. Happy to yeah. come on again at some time. Yes, thank yeah. you, Josh. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. All right. And uh, let's continue fighting for ultra and throne so that one day we could be inseparably united with Christ the King forever. Amen. Viva Cristo Rey. We'll see you guys next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith. Have a great week.